This is Jocko Podcast number 237 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. So lots of dynamic things happening in the world right now. And when there are lots of dynamic things happening, leaders have to make things happen. Leaders have to assess, have to decide, have to plan. And since all of us are going through these dynamic scenarios, I wanted to I wanted to touch on something today. It's called troop leading procedures. And the version that I'm going to cover is from an army techniques publication or field manual 3TAC 21.1 which is which is the name of that is Infantry Rifle Company and it's a giant manual 500 or something pages which we're not going to go through all that because there's an appendix in it and appendix B is planning and preparing and it's look it's interesting I've planned a lot of things in my life and I've been in charge of a lot of planning in my life I've been very lucky from that perspective and I was planning things before I knew any of this stuff and I learned a lot of lessons along the way from from that and then as I started to reflect back and once I started kind of officially learning about how to plan, I would look back and see how things made sense and see some things that I would overlook, some things that I didn't overlook, some things that the doc, the, uh, the documents overlook. So thinking about this, and this is actually based on this massive process in the army or in the military called the military decision-making process, which is this absolutely granular way to go through every possible element of a decision, of a big decision of how you're gonna plan something. Mm-hmm. So that is meant for higher higher elements above the company, right? So that's meant for a battalion, brigade, division. You know, when you have a whole staff of people that their job is to do these type of long decision-making processes. So this right here is meant at the company level, you know, 100 guys, 150 guys, three platoons worth of guys. That's what this is aimed at. And there's definitely some things in here to pay attention to so that, you know, we we can see if we're missing things, see if there's things we can add, see if there's some things we can we can take away from this that will help us lead and plan and make better decisions. And I'm not gonna even go into massive depth. Even this subsection, even this appendix has a lot of really granular information. And that's one thing, you know, the army does doctrine very well and they go they get they get into it and they will get granular. You will not miss anything if you follow their doctrine. But a lot of it is very specific to the military. But it's even worth looking at it. You, know, you can get this on the interwebs just as a PDF or whatever. This whole document, you can check this out. And it'll give you some indication of the level of granularity that they're planning to. Mm. But we're not going to dive into all that. I'm going to try and keep it to the elements in here that are, for the most part, universally applicable in, in anyone that's planning. So here we go. Planning and Preparation, Appendix D from FM 3TAC 21.1. Planning is a process by which the company commander translates visualization into a specific course of action for preparation and execution focusing on expected results. It's interesting to even think of the fact 
that what you're doing as a leader is you're taking this vision mm-hmm. and you're turning it into an executable plan. Mm-hmm. So just that right there can help people, and I'll tell you how. If you don't have a vision, you're not gonna come up with a plan. Yeah. So the whole process is taking your visualization, your vision, and turning it into an actionable course of action, things that you can actually do. Just think about that from your daily life perspective, right? Yeah. If you don't have a vision of what your day is gonna be like, that day is not gonna have a plan behind it. You're not gonna have a course of action for that day. Yeah. So out of the gate, we're already learning sentence one. We're in the game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, planning helps create, helps the commander create and communicate a common vision and a shared understanding between subordinate leaders and unified action partners. Boy, that's a weird way of saying team, right? Mm-hmm. Unified action partners. Actually, I was gonna, I was yeah. saying that in kind of an insulting way, but then I kind of got into it, right? <laughs> I kind of transitioned there in the process of saying it. This guy's not my teammate. He's my unified action partner. See where we're coming from. That's, you know, the army will add some, they'll make up some some things like that. Team isn't good enough. Yeah. We're going unified action team is partners. So yeah, it's cliche. Yeah. We're not talking about the team is just, you know, you're playing games. Yeah. We're not talking unified action partners. <laughs> Planning results in an order that synchronizes the action of forces in time, space, and purpose to achieve objectives and accomplish the missions. That's a very verbose way of making that statement, right? We know what planning does. I'm not even going to read that sentence again. It was a bit much. The commander relies on intuitive decision-making and direct contact with subordinate leaders to integrate activities when circumstances are not suited for troop-leading procedures. So what does that mean? At a certain point, you're not doing all this detailed planning. You're relying on your relationship, your intuitiveness, and understanding and communicating with the subordinate leaders. So you don't get to do this all the time. That's understood. I'm gonna talk about three different types of planning. Parallel planning, collaborative planning, and distributed planning. Parallel planning allows each echelon to make maximum use of the time available. And the way it does that is that, let's say I was the boss and you were the subordinate, and I said, hey Echo, we're gonna go film something in Texas. Mm-hmm. That's all you need to know, and you're going to start coming up with a plan. You don't just wait for me to say, "Hey, we're going to Dallas. We're going to film this. We're going to be there for this many days." You go, "Okay, we're going to Texas. I know that." Start coming up with a plan. I'm going to need batteries. Yeah, I'm going to need SD cards. Sure, <laughs> See, I'm sure. kind of doing your job for you over here. <laughs> Thanks. So, parallel planning. You want to tell people what's happening so they can start to plan. Collaborative planning is commanders, subordinate commanders, staff, and other partners sharing information, knowledge, perceptions, ideas, concepts, regardless of physical location throughout the planning process. Obviously, right? We are gonna work together to come up with a plan. Up and up and down the chain of command, we're working. And then distributed planning allows the commander and staff members to execute planning from different locations. Okay, no factor. Goes into some detail about, about parallel planning here. Two or more echelons planning for the same operation, sharing information sequentially through warning orders and higher headquarters prior to higher headquarters publishing their operation plan or their op order. That's what I just said. You're not waiting until I give you the full detailed timeline of what we're doing in Texas to go film this video. I'm just telling you we're going to Texas and you're kind of gonna start thinking of how you're gonna get it done. You don't need to know much more than that. 
Uh, parallel planning hinges on a shared understanding of the situation. Pause for a moment. That is important. Because if we don't have a shared understanding of the situation, we could come up with totally different parallel plans. Yeah. If you think we're going to Texas to film you know, a podcast, but I know that we're going to film an action sequence, <laughs> right? You're bringing different equipment. Yes. So I need to give you a shared understanding of the situation. The company commander cannot finalize the company order until the battalion completes their order. So at some point, you have to know everything that I know. At some point, you have to know exactly what it is we're trying to make happen. So that makes sense. Okay, and, and so look, and I'm, I'm skipping through a bunch of stuff here, but I wanna jump into the actual troop leading procedures which it says are a a dynamic process used by small unit leaders to analyze a mission, develop a plan, prepare for an operation. Troop leading procedures extend the MDMP conducted at battalion level with its coordinating staff to a company level. So the MDMP is the thing I talked about, military decision-making process. These procedures enable company level leaders to maximize available planning time while developing effective plans and preparing the company for a mission. Troop leading procedures consist of eight steps. The troop leading procedure step sequence is not rigid. So you're gonna get a sequence of how you're gonna plan, but it's not, it doesn't stay that way all the time. The commander modifies the sequence to meet mission, situation, and time available. Some steps are done concurrently while others may go on continuously throughout the mission. The troop leading procedure steps are as follows. Step one, receive the mission. And I'll go ahead and just pause right there. That's something that, you know, when people think of, when, when, you, when let's say someone like yourself, Echo Charles, mm-hmm. when you hear that, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking of 98% of the movies that you've seen about the military, which is, you know, the troops are sitting around the board and in comes the commander. Mm-hmm. And the commander says, okay, gents, here's the next mission, right? That's like sure. the common thing. Yeah. Sure. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. And that does happen, but it's not, well, in the SEAL teams, it's not normal. It's not mm-hmm. the norm. Mm-hmm. The norm is the team itself the platoon, the task unit, the troop is developing the information. They're finding out. So they're kind of making the mission, producing the mission, gathering the intel, all those things are happening. But it does happen sometimes where you literally receive the mission. Hey, here is what you need to go do. Mm. So that's step number one, receive the mission, or I guess we would say either receive the mission or, or confirm the mission or select the mission, because you'll have multiple missions that you're trying to bring to fruition. Mm -hmm. So when you finally decide on a mission, or you receive a mission, that's to be the two things I would say. That's number one. Number two, issue a warning order, which we'll get into. Number three, make a tentative plan. Number four, initiate movement. Number five, conduct reconnaissance. Number six, complete the plan. Number seven, issue the order. Number eight, supervise and refine. Okay. Troop leading procedures begin with the company commander begin when the company commander receives the first indication of an upcoming mission and continues throughout the operational process. So this whole time you're sort of supposed to be and the, the, one of the key words here that they use is refine. You're supposed to be refining this plan all the time. That never stops. Troop leading pr- 
Troop leading procedures comprise a sequence of actions to help the commander use available time effectively and efficiently to issue orders and execute operations. Normally the first three steps, which is receive the mission, give the warning order, and make a tentative plan of troop leading procedures occur in order. The tasks involved in some actions, such as initiate movement, issue the warning order, and conduct reconnaissance may recur several times during the process. The last step, supervise, refine, occurs throughout. So there you go. A couple other things to highlight from this section. Attention exists between executing current missions and planning for future missions. The company commander must balance both. That happens all the time in business. It happens all the time in any environment, right? You've got what we're doing right now, and you need to pay attention to what we're doing right now, and you also need to think about what we're going to be doing. I hate to say this, but... Oftentimes, it is necessary to bifurcate between who's planning what's happening right now and who's planning what's happening in the future. So, for instance, for instance, in the SEAL teams, you'll end up with someone who is the operations officer who's kind of handling what we're doing right now, and you have future operations officer who's handling what is coming down the pipe. So that is something to think about. If you don't have the manpower to do that, a good thing to do is to allot a certain amount of time every day to say, okay, look, we're in the firefight today. We got stuff going on. We know we need to get that handled, but I'm gonna take an hour after lunch, before lunch. I'm gonna sit down for two hours during lunch with my team. We're gonna talk about what's going on in the future because it can be very hard to get that stuff done. It's Well, I shouldn't say that. It can be very hard to actually pay attention to what's going on in the future when you have a lot of activity happening right now in front of our face. So you, you need to think through that and you need to pay attention to it. The commander and subordinate leaders begin troop leading procedures when they receive an initial warning order or receive a new mission. As each subsequent order arrives, the commander modifies assessments, updates tentative plans, and continues to supervise and assess preparations. The big difference there, they're talking about you know your boss keeps giving you additional information. For us, we would be waiting. The, the thing that would be driving us to make adjustments is intelligence that would be coming in. Oh, we're getting this information. Oh, we're getting some other information. So that's what's making us adjust and adapt our plan as we work. The commander uses troop leading procedures when working alone or with a small group to solve, solve tactical problems, obviously. Risk management occurs continuously throughout troop leading procedures with varying emphasis on different steps at different times. So you've always got to be assessing risk. Mm -hmm. You're always going to be assessing risk. In fact, I was talking to a client the other day, and we were talking about risk assessment. And I I made some statement or whatever. I, I we, we were going through some problem, and I was talking about the risk involved. And and they said something along the lines of like like, like it seems like you it seems like you're very schooled and you know, risk evaluation or whatever, some statement like that. Mm-hmm. And I said, yes, well, you know, my entire job before <laughs> was doing risk evaluation and risk assessment and mitigating risk. That's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what the planning of a mission is. Mm-hmm. If, we in, if we insert this way, what is our risk? What's the benefit? If we insert the other way, what's the risk? How do we mitigate it? You know, that's what you're doing for every phase of an operation. And so, and that is what you should be doing. Every move that you make has some level of risk. And then they go through the risk management steps. 
Step one, identify the hazards. Step two, assess the hazards. Step three, develop controls and make risk decisions. Step four, implement controls and then supervise and evaluate. And that's, there's, a, there's other stuff in here on risk assessment, but that's the, the fundamentals of what they're telling you to do. And then it says this, troop leading procedures are not a hard and fast set of rules. Some actions may be performed simultaneously or in order different than shown, and they have a big chart. They've got an, it's actually a big chart with all kinds of little uh, arrows and boxes and showing you it's a flow chart of how you're making decisions. Cool to look at, interesting, interesting to look at. And, and it's a good thing to look at and sort of maybe overlay the types of decisions that you have to make. And one thing that I'll say that is something to pay attention to is time. Time is the hardest. You know, you know I, was, I was talking the other day on EF Online, and I was explaining to people that very seldom do you make a final decision. Right, so I'm talking like this is legit. In life, it's very seldom that you have to make a final decision. Mm-hmm. Like this is it. When you make this decision, that's it. You don't get another chance. Yeah. So, for instance, you know, a, a dis- most decisions that you make, you have some kind of opportunity to go back and undo it. Yeah. And even something as extreme as if you have to fire somebody. Yeah. Like let's say you got to let's say you know you work for me and I decide you you know you're not doing a good job and I fire you. Even that if I could look back in 2 weeks and contact you and say hey listen I think I made a bad call. Like there's a there's yeah. a way out of it, right? right. It's it, and so many decisions are like that. Even a decision as massive as on a personal level, oh we're going to buy a house. Yeah. Seems like this final decision. Actually, you can sell that house. You know, yeah. you can get back out of that. Yeah. So there's a lot of decisions that we make that seem like they're final decisions, but they're actually not. Yeah. And the reason that I was talking about this is because if you and I are discussing something, if you and I are negotiating something, chances are it's not the last negotiation we're going to have. If you if you want if you're pitching me your plan mm-hmm. on how to do something, and I'm I'm fighting back with my plan, chances are. We're gonna we're gonna have another opportunity to go through what plan and how the plan is executed. So for me to think if I agree to your plan, and now I'm like, well, okay, you, I'm I'm agreeing with Echo's plan. Now my opportunity to influence is totally gone. Yeah. It's not true, actually. Yeah. You know, if I agree to your, you know what, Echo, your plan seems pretty good. Let's go with it. Mm-hmm. Well, we're gonna. It's not just we're gonna take your plan at that moment and execute it, right? We're gonna, okay, let's go through the planning process. We're gonna look at how we're actually gonna do it and we can make little adjustments. So very often, our negotiations are not final. And our decisions are not final. I don't know, you know, what's a final decision that you have to make in life, right? There's getting a tattoo. Even that's not final. You can get that thing removed. I think it hurts a lot, apparently. Hurts a little bit more than the actual tattoo, yeah, from what I hear. So, and I think it leaves a scar, right? Yeah, a little bit. Okay, so so that's a that's closer to a permanent decision. Yeah. But generally, we're making decisions that are that that have an. And this is actually what I said. I said when you can, you actually want to make decisions that are open loop. 
Yeah. Meaning we're not going to make the closed decision yeah. if I can avoid it. Yeah. Now, if I have to make it, I make it. But if I can leave an opening on the decision, then I will. Because that gives me some room to maneuver and, yeah. and backpedal. And maybe it was the wrong choice and I made it. Yeah, you'd be hard-pressed, really, now that you kind of think about it, to find a decision. I mean, of course, the obvious ones, if you're going to kill somebody or something yep. like that or, yep. or do something, like, illegal where it's going to be like, bro, you're going to go to jail for that or, so, you know, that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it's like there's always a sort of, like, you can maneuver your way back into, the you yep. know, a different decision. And what's important about this is if you go into something thinking that you yeah. want to maintain the ability to maneuver yeah. – then that is a good attitude to have. So I always try and make small decisions, yes, and also trying to make the least amount of final decisions that I can. Now look, do you you get to points in some situations where you do? Yes, you do. And when you do, you, you assess it, and then you make your final decision, you move forward. The reason that I'm saying all this is there is something that is non negotiable, that has no mercy, and you can never go back on. Time. Time. And the way we treat time, sometimes, oddly enough, it's the thing that we act as if it's the good, you know, as if we're going to have more time or we can get that time back. Yeah. We we think it's it's a negotiable thing. And the bottom line is it's not. And so the reason I bring this up is because they they talk about it. And it's one of the key points of assessing planning is assessing the time that you have available. And so often I see companies, I see people in business, I see planning in the SEAL teams, people used to make this mistake, and you see people make this mistake with their life, which is time is the one thing that there's no negotiation on. And once you let it go, there's literally no possible way to get it back. It's gone. It's gone. You can try and recover some of it by picking up the pace here, cutting a corner there. You can try and recover some of that time. But let's face it, it's gone. Yeah. If you sleep in and you wake up late, you can still get a workout in. You compress it, somebody, but you didn't get that full, right? Yeah. You didn't get that full workout. So you have, this is, if there's anything to take away from this, if there's one thing that you need to kind of pay attention to above all, it's how you utilize your time. Because it's, quick all right step one now we're getting to step one which is receive the mission step one in troop leading procedures the commander determines the company's mission and assesses the time available to accomplish the mission there you go that's the first thing you've got to do and this is what's cool they go into this little section here um well, they talk a little bit about how you receive the mission but then they say Here's some things that you can do in this first step. Conduct a confirmation brief to the battalion commander to verify an understanding of the battalion commander's intent. So that's good. You you got something to do. Let's confirm with the upper echelon to make sure we understand what they want. Initial assessment, you knock that out. And then it goes goes into these last three bullet points, which all have to do with what I just talked about, which I put a star next to each one of these because I, I was thinking about this. Conducts an initial planning time analysis to identify critical times in the timeline. Two, analyzes the time the company commander has av- the company has available, and three, prepares an initial timeline. Uh, this is so important. 
I'm gonna tell you, you wanna know the, well, I mean, I do this a lot, but one time this, that this is very obvious to me, I did this, didn't really think about it, but we were at one of the musters, and there's a lot of stuff going on, it was like one of the early musters, there was a lot of chaos going on, mm-hmm. and actually this was, this wasn't probably, this was maybe like muster like four or five, so there's mm-hmm. things happening, but we're starting to understand a little bit better, and everyone's, you know, we're, we're meeting, and the whole team's there, and, and I can see, I'm like, wait a second, I don't feel comfortable with where we are right now. And then I said, all right, here's what's going on. We're gonna meet at this time for this, we're gonna meet at this time for this, everyone's gotta have their brief done by this, and just put out a timeline. Mm. And all of a sudden, everyone's locked into position, everyone knows what's happening, we know how much time we have, we get it. If you don't do that as a leader, that time disappears. It disappears and you cannot get it back. It is impossible to get back. So when you get a tasking of some kind, the very first thing you should do is just do a good analysis of the amount of time. And you know what? You might want to start looking at your days and your weeks like that too. Yeah. Because it's slipping. This, then it says the most important element of a company's warning order is the initial timeline for planning. They're just beating this down. Uh, a warning order, this is a cool thing to know. A warning order is a prelimin- preliminary notice of an order of action to follow. So this is, it's basically a heads up. Mm. It's a heads up, hey, this is what's going on, this is what we got going on, this is what we expect to have happening. It's kind of like me saying to you, hey Echo, we just got a call, we're going to Texas, we gotta do a filming. Mm. That's a warning order. Mm. Yeah, hey Echo, we're going to Texas, probably in two weeks, we're gonna record a podcast there with a guest. And you're like, okay, cool. You don't need to know anything. I mean, you, you can start a lot of initial planning. That's yeah. what a warning order is. Okay. It's, it's important to put that together because it gives people a heads up. Here's some of the things inside of a warning order. Mission or nature of the operation. Time and place for issuing the operation order. So I'm gonna give you the final order at this time. Task organize the units, units or elements participating in the operation. So I was like, hey, Echo, we're gonna go down there, but also, good deal, Dave is coming with us. Okay, cool, so now you know you got camera, you know, right? So right. you already know who else is involved in this situation. Oh, and JP's meeting us there. Late, you know what I'm saying? We're gonna add, you're gonna know everyone you're dealing with. Hmm. Reconnaissance and surveillance to initiate. Hey, we're gonna be in the Austin area. Can you see what some possibilities are for us to record it. You see where I'm going with this? Locations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. locations. You're doing yeah. a little recon. You're gonna get on Google Maps. You're gonna look for yeah. various hotels, see what kind of conference rooms they have. Security missions to initiate. That's very militaristic thinking. If, we, if we're gonna be doing an operation, sometimes we gotta shut down outside communication. We gotta, we gotta start uh, doing our weapons testing every day. So if we do it the day before, people will know. So we're gonna do some security precautions. Yeah. Movement to initiate. If you had to fly in someone, you, you start that movement. Information requirements, what do you need to know? Essential, it, commander's critical information requirement, um, which I've been talking, I've actually been talking about that one a decent amount. I've been talking about that one a decent amount because as we went into COVID-19, this lockdown that the world has been in, a lot of companies and businesses that we work with all of a sudden were not coming into work. They were not co-located. Everyone's working from home. They're working on computers. And sometimes they would feel like I would have leaders asking me, well, you know, I don't, I, I don't know what my team is doing. And I don't know if they're doing the right things. And so I talked about some methods to make sure that they are doing the right things without micromanaging them. Two things. One of them is an execution checklist. 
Meaning, okay, I'll be at this location at this time working on this. By this time, I'll be working on this next thing. By I'll be at this other job site by this time. I'll be this done with this much of the project by this time. So you know where they're at. The other thing is this, commander's critical information requirements, which means if something happens inside these required elements, mm. you tell me about it. Mm. So for instance, in Ramadi, you know, if we had troops in contact, my tactical operations center knew to come and tell me we had troops in contact. Mm. If we, obviously we had a guy wounded, if we had civilian casualties, there was things that guys knew to come and tell me immediately. And to be honest with you, as time went on, we modified those because eventually it was like, hey, the guys are gonna be in contact. I, if they're in the field, they're gonna be in contact. Let me know if it lasts for more than 15 minutes or something like that yeah. because otherwise they're, they're contacting me all the time and it's just not worth it. Yeah. Uh, next one is essential element of friendly information. This is knowing where your friendly forces are. Planning and preparation instructions, specific tasks not addressed by unit standard operating procedures. That's an important one. So if I tell you, hey, Echo, we're going to go film a podcast, and by the way, it's going to be underwater. <laughs> yeah. You go, okay, that's not normal. Right. This is outside yeah. the norm. No. You got to get a case, a housing. Housing? Yes. Yeah, you got to get a hot waterproof housing. <laughs> sure. And last thing, most important, timeline for the operation. So there are some things that you put in the warning order. Next thing is make a tentative plan. In a time-constrained environment, Commander typically develops only one course of action. I don't even know if it's, I don't, they say that, I don't even know if it's possible to only develop one course of action because when you look at a problem, you automatically come up with multiple ways to solve it. So you automatically come up with multiple courses of action. I guess maybe they say develop, maybe that's a key word that, I, that I'm not focused on because you can come up with three courses of action but only actually develop one, meaning, mm go into it a little bit more. So I guess that does make sense. The, the commander does not wait for a complete op board before starting to develop a tentative plan. This is important, and there's two parts of this that make it important. When you develop a tentative plan, first of all, you don't wanna wait too long to try and develop it, and second of all, you, once you start to develop it, you don't wanna go all the way, because you're gonna waste time when you don't actually know. So you might get told, hey, you're gonna hit a target in this area or we think it's this building, right? So you start coming up with a plan, tentative plan, then you start going further and you haven't heard anything yet and you get all the way to where you're actually developed the perfect plan for this particular, and then they go, oh, that's sorry, wrong building, actually wrong block. Actually, we're one town over. So you develop this whole plan, wasted a bunch of time, spun everybody up, when what you should have said is, hey guys, we're gonna do a direct action mission, get your gear ready, get some sleep, I'll let you know when it develops further. So now everyone gets their gear ready, maybe they get a little sleep, now we get more granular, detailed information, we can take that next step in planning. <sighs> Moving to mission analysis. The commander conducts mission analysis to develop situational understanding, which is the product of applying analysis and judgment to relative information to determine the relationship among the operational and mission variables to facilitate decision making and to confirm what the company must do to accomplish the mission. That's a big sentence. What does it mean? Situational understanding. You wanna know what's happening. You wanna know what's happening and figure out what it is you need to do to accomplish the mission. Oh, we're going on the on a mission and there is a giant river that we're gonna need to get across. Okay, we, we know we're gonna have to do a river crossing. Okay, got it. 
oh, there's a cliff that we need to climb. Okay, so now we gotta come up with a way to climb a cliff. So there's you're looking at this situation overall and figuring out what it's gonna take to get through that situation. Oh, there's um, you know, a, a gate or a bit or a fence around. We need to find a way to get over, through, under, around the fence. Okay, so you're figuring out what you're gonna need to make this happen and accomplish the mission. That's the mission analysis. Mission analysis answers four questions that become inputs to developing a course of action. These questions are, what is the company's mission? What is the current situation? How does the company accomplish the mission? And what are the risks? Analyzing the mission variables is a continuous process. The commander constantly receives information from the time the planning begins through execution. What is the company's mission? What is the current situation? How does the company accomplish the mission? And what are the risks? Those are the questions you're asking yourself to figure out a course of action. And this is where it might seem like those are real obvious. In fact, let me rephrase that. Those seem real obvious. Mm -hmm. And yet, I will work with companies all the time and see them in the planning process for something. And I'll say something like, what is it you're trying to actually do? And they will have lost their mission in the planning, (laughs) right? They will have lost the mission in the planning. And I forget where we were talking about this, but it's the same thing of thinking that the way we get to the target is the mission. It's not, no. The way you get the target is not the mission. The way that you you execute the mission is not the mission. There's a big difference. And so sometimes people get caught up in the way they're doing something, not what they're actually supposed to be doing, or even more important, why they're doing it. Actually, the whole thing kind of seems obvious. The whole thing. It seems totally, a lot of this seems totally obvious. And the reason that it's important to go through it is it doesn't seem obvious when you're in it. Yeah. Yeah. When you're in it, you, you miss things and you don't pay attention to things. And that's what you have to be careful of. And you have to be careful regardless of how experienced you are because when you're experienced, you get experienced in a certain, you get in, experienced in a certain category in a certain rut, I'll call it a rut, mm. even though it's not necessarily bad, but it's a good word to use. You know, if you, if every jiu-jitsu tournament that you go in, you got great takedowns, you get the takedowns and you pass guard and that's how you win. Mm-hmm. That's great and you can get used to that. And when you're preparing for a tournament, you'd be like, yep, I'm gonna work my guard pass, I'm gonna work my takedowns. Mm-hmm. And we all know that there's gonna be someone that's got better takedowns than you. Next thing you know, you're on the bottom and you're not winning because you didn't prepare for that. You didn't think about that. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of it seems like a uh, almost like a reminder for organization. So you know, like some some people, some of us, people will give us a suggestion to be more organized in one way or another. Yeah, right? I, I've been aware of these things. You know, I'm just, it's possible. Uh, and to some people. Some of us, it's like, well, you know, like, yeah, you know, but the, hey, that's not my methodology, you know, like I, it's it's organized chaos kind of thing. Maybe that's more of an excuse than anything. I'm not saying it always is, but it could be. Um, it's like a, it's a reminder, a constant reminder to indicate the value of being organized and organized with everything. I'm not just saying your your pens are over here, mm-hmm. you know, and your papers. Are, it's not that. Specifically, it's like the way the way you're thinking about this whole process yeah. from like where you are right now, given where you want to be. 
Yes. And let's face it, when your world is disorganized, your mind is disorganized. Yeah. And what it takes, what something like this, you're actually making an excellent point. This type of this type of document, this type of process, what it does is it forces you to organize your mind. Yeah. That, that's mind. what it's doing. Mind, yeah. It's forcing you to dis, it's to organize your mind. And even though your your mind may be relatively organized and even though your world may be relatively organized there are still things and that takes me back to like the rut idea there's still things that when you approach them you've kind of forgot or you've you've done something a certain way which is within the confines of what we're talking about but now you're doing something else that requires you to dig and and step outside what you have been doing and if you don't have anything to refer to you're kind of going out in the wild yeah and you don't yeah. want to let your brain go out in the wild. Yeah, and that's a lot of times where when distractions come in and like other short-term things come in that you attend to essentially. Yeah, and and you know, I'm going to Okay, so I just said you don't want to let your brain go out there in the wild. And that's actually I don't actually want to say that. Because you do want you you do want to look at a problem and you want to analyze a problem with an open mind and maybe the answer is wild yeah but we know that discipline equals freedom right so if you can't even put a structure around what the mission is and what the problem is and and what the assets you if you can't put a structure around that you might as well you, all your quote wild ideas won't cover all the bases but if yeah. you put get a firm grip on what you're actually dealing with well then you can have some wild ideas. Yeah, and that and when when you said don't let your brain go to the wild, it, I I didn't get the impression that you meant um, like stay so rigid yeah. to this stuff. It didn't feel like that. I, it meant have a plan, man. You know, like even just I mean, this is a, this is a common one where it's like yeah, plan out your day or plan out your week or whatever. Or even like it kind of applies to everything really. Like mm-hmm. anything that you want to do well, it's like you're gonna have some sort of a solid plan. That, you know, varying levels of flexibility obviously depends on what it is. But like even if you want to you want to lose weight or you want to get in shape, you know, you got meal prep, you got workout prep, like you're going to know what you're going to do unless you're like one of these instinctive training guys, which is like way down the line. Pretty much no one can do it. But, you know, like when you go in the gym, like, you know, I mean, unless you don't know what you're doing at all. So that's like another thing. But again, if you want to do something well, successfully or whatever, you go in the gym, you can have the workout. Yeah, you got, I got burpees, mm-hmm. I got pull-ups, I got, you know, like I typically know how many. Yep. You know, I even, quite frankly, I mean, we talk about this a lot. I even know how much rest I'm going to take in yep. between, you know. So the better your plan. None. <laughs> <laughs> sure, none. So anyway, it's like a, um, I, if you have a plan, yes. But your brain going out in the wild, that's basically you're saying don't not have a plan. You're just yeah. out in the wild, yeah. no plan, you know. You need some kind of a line to deviate from. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, f- yeah, it's exactly right. So like, you go to the gym, right? You got your workout. Okay, let's say today I got I got flat bench, then I got uh, pull ups, and then I got um, uh, you know, some curls, obviously mm-hmm. straight bar curls. Yeah. In fact, I'm gonna do that first. <laughs> so if I go in and I go to the straight bar curl bar, I do my curls, then it's time to go flat bench barbell. But it's like, dang, there's like someone using that. Right. Mm-hmm. What plan done? Plan over? <laughs> no, bro. You better go jump on the dumbbells. You better jump on the wild. incline. You got to do something. Yeah, you got to. You got to explore that wild. You know those other options, those flexible options. So yeah, I dig it. But 
yeah when you mean like not having a plan that's that's the wild yeah. you want to exist there yeah the the other thing is if i mean if you throw a dart with your eyes shut completely yeah. right that's you don't even have a chance right yeah but as long as you like open an eye and you go okay cool i kind of see where we're going here boom now you can make up now you can throw something out in the wild and maybe it hits yeah check um, you get to this point here where it is identify tentative decision, decisive point. Decisive point's a good word. It's a doctrinal term. Decisive point is where you, you it's, it's like a thing that happens, a point that you reach where now you should win, right? Now you have like a marked advantage over the enemy Different for different situations. You know, when you've got, you know, when Dean Lister grabs a hold of your leg, right. it's a decisive point, right? I'm not saying you're gonna lose, but there's a strong probability. Well, let me let me not just group everyone in this. I'll say with me, yeah. when Dean grabs my leg, I know I'm in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can get out, but I know I'm in trouble. I know I'm gonna have to scramble. Right. So those are that's what a decisive point is. And this is a very interesting statement here. Identifying a, a tentative decisive point and verifying it during a course of action development is the most important aspect of the troop leading procedure. The commander visualizes a valid decisive point to determine how to achieve success and accomplish the mission's purpose. The commander develops the entire course of action from the decisive point. Without determining a valid decisive point, the commander cannot begin to develop an appropriate course of action. So that is a bold statement. So to be clear on the decisive point, because th these kind of both make sense, where, okay, it, it's it's not necessarily okay. This is a decisive um, point where we determine this mission as successful. It's not that. It's not achieving the mission. No, it's you know, not it's the like, mission accomplishment. Okay. It's... We got. We just got to a point where now we should win. Yeah, like now that, we should effort, accomplish. Yeah. You know, if you look at a striker versus a grappler, mm -hmm. what's the decisive point in that match? Yeah, when you go to the ground. Yeah, the decisive point for the grappler is when he gets the takedown. The decisive point for the striker is like round two and a half, and he's stuffed four takedowns, and the fifth takedown attempt just gets brushed off like it's nothing. Yeah. And all of a sudden, and that, and now you see the, the now you see the grappler breathing hard. Yeah, that's and now, so now so now the now the strikers can start upping the strikes and start teeing off a little bit and start throwing kicks. So at that point, and I've had those discussions with fighters before, like okay, like you're not throwing any kicks in the first round. You're gonna you're not gonna put any real weight behind your punches in the first round. Second round, I'll tell you. Mm. You know, when once you've sloughed off or stuffed three or four takedowns in the first round, two takedowns in the second round, decisive point just got reached. Now yeah. you can start throwing bombs. <laughs> Same thing with a grappler. Mm -hmm. So those are the decisive points in a fight. Gotcha. You didn't necessarily win just because that happened, right. but that's what you're setting up for. So now when we go into the planning, we think about that decisive point it's obvious, okay, we got the guy to the ground. Now now we're good. Yeah. That's what we plan around. How do we do that? How do we make that happen? 
different fighter. You know, maybe it's a fighter that doesn't do well against the cage. So we're going to get him against the cage. That's not quite the decisive point, but that's a strategy that we're going to use. We're going to get the other fighter against the cage. Then we're going to get underhooks and we're going to look to grind. And that's where the takedown comes. Once the takedown comes around, we're a decisive point. Yeah. So that's what it means. But it's very interesting that the planning that they're talking about is directed and related to that decisive point, not even to the getting the mission done, right. it's that decisive point. Hey, once we get control of the, you know, the external parts of this building and we get it locked down, yeah. we know what's gonna happen. I, I used to play this game called Zanuck on the original Nintendo, mm-hmm. Nintendo Entertainment System. You're probably familiar with that. You remember that one, right? The old school, the cross. You know, it's not a joystick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so was that go- like the original, um, like non joystick? Because the thing yeah. that that I saw when I was a kid was the Atari. Did you have an Atari? Atari, yeah, that was the first. I one. didn't have one, but I remember those joystick <laughs> things. Well, sorry. Yeah, Battle Tank or what was it called? It was called Combat, but it was a Battle Tank on Atari. You shoot the guy, it spins. Anyway, no, this is Nintendo, right? Mm-hmm. Super Mario Brothers, um, Metroid, you know, Gyromite. Remember these ones? Duck Hunt. No, anyway, I never had any of these games. Bro, sorry, I didn't man. have a Nintendo. Sorry, bro. What year was Nintendo? Uh, I think it was eighty-two. Okay, or well, eighty-four. I, I'm very much in the game. I mean, I should have had something, but whatever. I guess we yeah. didn't get it over at the Willink household. Sorry, bro. <laughs> anyway, for for those of us with, it, there's this game called Zanuck, and it's the typical, you know, like a Space Invaders game, right? You know how Space Invaders yeah, are? Yeah. It's like just the spaceship on the bottom. So this one was way more dynamic. You'd go forward in anyway, but you could get all these weapons, right? So each weapon has like a number. So if you get a number one, it's a certain weapon. And if you get another one, it's that same weapon, but it's just stronger or bigger or whatever, right? Now, on like, I think it was like level three or four, there's this, and, he, and the thing is the screen moves, right? So you don't, you don't move forward. The screen moves. You just got to keep up with the oh, screen. Okay. You know, it's kind of that one of those kinds of games. So there's this area in like level three where if you, it's this little smiley face and you got to catch it, you know, because if, if it passes, it's gone, you know, and you got to catch it. It's a little smiley face. You got to shoot it. And what that does is any weapon you have, it gives it like the fullest power, fullest power. So okay. if you get a number seven, right, a number seven weapon which is like this kind of wand thing. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But you get a a number seven weapon, and then you shoot that smiley face. It gives you like the most powerful weapon in the whole game. And you can just, it's super easy to just defeat the whole game. Decisive point right there. That smiley face is a decisive point. Just like how you're saying where it's like (laughs) the plan when you play Zanuck isn't to beat the game. It is overall. Yeah, of course. But the plan really is to get the seven and hit that smiley face. That's it. Have you ever thought about this worthless knowledge that you have about these games and how you could have spent your youth studying important philosophical things of nature. Well, <laughs> in a way, I did. See? Obviously, we're here talking about <laughs> same thing. Zanuck. What is it? Zanuck. Yeah. Zanuck. Yeah, it wasn't like a super duper popular game, but it was pretty solid. You know, it was a good, good one. Good music. Fun game. Hard. <laughs> Okay, so we're talking about that's the decisive point. The decisive point of that game where you should win. Could yes. you still lose if you had uh, yeah. weapon seven, level seven, smiley face or whatever? Yeah. You yeah. could still lose. Oh, yeah, because it just makes it super, super easy. You easier. get shot one time. Once you have that, you lose that. You lose the whole okay. weapon. Yeah, exactly right. So and it's not devastating mm. when you have that. But it, here's the thing. like Compared to not having it, 
it's like night and day, you know. You know, there's a lot of games like that where you get this super, this one weapon that's super rare, but if you get it, you know, it's like it makes it super easy. Usually they don't last long, like, you know, one of those guns that, like, you shoot it once and it kills everybody, you know, one of those, but you don't get a bunch of them. This one, you get the seven, it runs out, but it takes a lot to run out, you know. Powerful weapon. Very powerful. Decisive point, 100%. Yeah. That is literally the example of a decisive point in cool. Sanic. Is there any other details you want to give us? Well, in Super Mario Brothers, there's this trick you can do where <laughs> no. you hit the turtle shell and you keep bouncing on them and it gives you like infinite men or something like that. Not infinite, but gives you like 100 men. That's a decisive point. You're probably going to win. Yeah, because you can just die a bunch of times. You just keep going till you win. Kind Isn't of it sad, though? Like they could have set these games up so that they were really teaching you something about something, right? Think of like some knowledge, some memorization you had to do to get this thing about some important facts or whatever. Yeah. Some mental challenges that made you think and you had to know and yeah. you learned whatever, some history or. Bro, that doesn't sound fun at all. No, but you can make it. Don't you think you could make it fun? I'm sure, yeah. Actually, I think a lot of the games now are kind of like that. I think. Uh, I haven't played video games in a long time, mm. but. Yes, I have. What I am know. I talking about? I, yeah, I, did. I mean. I don't think there's any historical facts in Grand Theft Auto V. GTA. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's move on, bro. Seriously. Okay. So d next step. Once you've put your joystick away, yeah. develop initial commander's intent. The commander's intent is clear, concise statement of what the force must do to succeed with respect to the enemy terrain and desired end state, which is a set of required conditions that defines achievement of the commander's objectives. You want to figure out what it is you want to get done. That's the commander's intent. The commander's intent does not include the method by which the force will get from its current state to the end state. The method is the concept of operation, and this is obviously really important. What you want to let your troops do is come up with a plan. Tell them what it is you want to make happen, and you let them come up with a plan. Echo, we're going to Texas. We're going to film a podcast. It's going to be underwater. We're going to need four cameras because we got four guests. Good? That's it. That's all I'm going to tell you. Now you're going to figure out what kind of housing and what kind of tripod and how you're going to do it and what you're going to run wires and how we're going to talk when we're... You're going to figure all that stuff out. A mission... And then analysis of the mission. A mission is task and purpose clearly indicating the action to be taken and the reason for the action. That's the mission. Task and purpose clearly indicating the action to be taken and the reason for the action. The commander must understand the mission, intent, and concept of operation one and two levels higher. This understanding makes it possible to exercise disciplined initiative. And it's kind of implicit here that not only must you understand the the concept of operation and the intent and the mission one and two levels above you, but man, you gotta make sure you understand the broad strategic mission as well. Mm. Everyone needs to understand these things. And the classic example I'll use is when in, in the Battle of Ramadi to think everybody needs to know that what we're trying to do is provide security for the populace. So everyone's got to have that in the back of their mind when you're going out and there's civilians and you know that what you need to do is protect them, right? You're making decisions based on that. 
protecting the infrastructure. Like they, these are things that you need to understand. Even though that might not fall into your your commander's intent or his commander's intent or even his commander's intent. Mm-hmm. Overall, you got to understand what the vision is, what the strategic vision is of the, the entire organization. So if you've got a company the co- and you know the company is build the, the most critical thing of the company is to build its reputation with its clients. Okay, guess what that means? Everybody should know, regardless of whatever little mission we're working on, the client is who we are there to support. You know, that's where you get the like the client is always right. They come to you and they say, "Oh, we want this done again." Okay. Let's make it happen. Everyone can make decisions based on that. So it's not just one or two mission, one or two levels above you. It's a lot more than that. And then what happens in this book is they start to go into the analysis of the terrain and weather. And this is where you just get into this absolute minutia, the five military aspects of terrain, um, obstacles. They start you know, listing obstacles. There's there's a page of descriptions of existing obstacles. Man-made include town, canals, railroad embankments, buildings, power lines, telephone lines. Reinforcing obstacles, tactical. Tactical reinforces obstacles. Inhibit the ability of opposing force to move, mass, and reinforce. Examples include minefields, conventional and situational, anti-tank ditches, and obstacles, and wire obstacles. And they go through each particular thing that you might need to think about, and I'll throw this in for Andy Stumpf. How will the terrain affect the employment of mortars, medium, machine guns, and javelin missiles? It's my, my favorite um, Andy Stumpf weapon. Javelin missiles? Javelin missiles. What's that? It's like a man-pack missile that you can use, and it's usually used for like destroying big things, but it can also be used in certain situations as an anti-personnel weapon, which Andy used it for. (laughs) So they go through pages and pages of all these things, and then they start to talk about terrain. And what's interesting is if you, I'm not gonna read all this stuff, but if if you look at this, it shows you the level of detail that they are asking people to think through this information. You know, just just page after page of terrain analysis should produce several specific conclusions listed below. Battle, support by fire, assault fire positions, engagement areas and ambush sites, immediate and immediate objectives, asset locations such as enemy personalities. It goes on and on and on. And then it goes in the five aspects of military weather, visibility, winds, precipitation, cloud cover, temperature and humidity. It just details each one of those. And then it goes into analysis of the enemy. Jumping it through a little section of this, analyzing the enemy answers the question, what is the enemy doing and why? The commander answers, what is the composition and strength of the enemy force? What are the capabilities of their weapons and other systems? What is the location of current and probable enemy positions? What is the enemy's most probable course of action? Are they going to defend, reinforce, attack, withdraw, delay? And then you start talking about assumptions about the enemy, and then you start talking about the doctrinal analysis of the enemy, which is what you trying to figure out how the enemy is going to fight you. Then composition of the enemy, then disposition of the enemy, then the strength of the enemy, then the capabilities of the enemy, and then recent activities of the enemy. You see where I'm going with this? And you know what that all boils down to? A little bit of Sun Tzu, my friend. Sure. What? Knowing your enemy? Knowing your enemy. 
Know your enemy. And what was the second part you just said? Knowing yourself. Know yourself. So guess what the next section is? Analysis of troops and support available. That's what you got. Then you're going to run through the same kind of information. What are the strengths and weaknesses of subordinate leaders? Hey, I got, you know, three platoons, six platoons. What are they like? Who are they? What are the strengths and weaknesses of the leaders inside those platoons? What is the supply status of ammunition, water, fuel, other necessary items? What is the present physical condition of the soldiers? What's their morale level? What is their sleep level? What is the condition of the equipment? What is the unit's training status and experience relative to the mission? Have they done this kind of mission before? What additional soldiers or units will accompany? What additional assets are required to accomplish the mission? So yes, you gotta know yourself. You've watched The Princess Bride? No. That's it's a surprisingly good movie. Okay, this is all funny. completely relative. When no, you tell me something. No, what is it about? Uh, I should have asked you that question. Okay, it, is there a main point to the story? Yeah. So okay, the, anyway, there's this guy. It. He's the man in black. Time he's is the, critical. The dread right? fire. Time is critical. I'm just people saying, are here. A, they're thinking they want to learn. Maybe yeah. they want to learn something about leadership. This movie might yeah. have almost nothing to do with that. We'll give you an opportunity. I guess though. it's Let's like go. it's like a little metaphor. I guess a little bit if you understand it as such. So anyway, this guy, he's he's the man in black is what they call him, but he's like the Dread Pirate Roberts. Doesn't matter who he is, but he basically has to cut. He gets, uh, uh, I forget, he gets separated from this girl that he loves, whatever. And then the girl's going to marry this evil prince. Mm-hmm. So this guy comes back, right? They thought he was dead, whatever. He comes back all trained. He's like a ninja almost. It was like okay. old medieval times kind of situation, but he's like a ninja. He has a little black stuff or whatever. But he always, <laughs> when you when you, when you anyway, down, okay. Here's the, here's the relevant relevant part. This guy was a complete planner. When you think about it, when I'm listening to this, so there was a there was a part where he he gets like he gets real messed up and he kind of wakes up or whatever. And these guys kind of help him and they're like, hey, we gotta go like we gotta go save this princess and I want to kill this this guy this king or whatever. And the guy's like barely can walk barely can talk he's like what's our assets and then they're like okay we got this we got this he goes what's our liabilities and he goes blah 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 and he, and he runs down exactly what you're saying like wh- about what how they have they have 30 men the guard is castle and he was like just sitting there incapable of moving mm-hmm. but he's planning like the whole thing and he's evaluating and he goes um and he you know he comes up with a plan but then when you think about the whole past of the movie he plans like the whole thing he planned like the whole thing. He one time he tricked the guy, right? He tricked this guy. <laughs> he plays this game. He goes like this. He goes, uh, "Here's a, a one glass of wine for me, one glass of wine for you." And he grabs them both, and he and he puts poison, uh-huh. iocane powder, puts poison in one of them, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes, "Okay, you choose, choose which one is mine, which one is yours. We both drink, and whoever wins, lives." So the guy's like, "All right," so he like does some dumb distraction thing. It's a comedy movie. And then, um, so they both drink, and of course the bad guy dies, right? Mm-hmm. And then the girl's like right there, so he grabs the girl, and she's like, oh, how'd you do that? He's like, oh, they were both poisoned. I spent years uh, building my immunity to this poison. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? This guy was a planner. That's why he won. Okay. So Plan- if you're a planner, you'll probably win. Planning is important. Very important. As is antidotes to whatever poison you're talking about. You know, my point is and has always been, these lessons are everywhere. True. You keep your eyes open. They're everywhere. Who's in that movie? Oh, 
Kerry Elwis is his name. Okay. And, uh, I, you know, some various other. We have a lot of knowledge up in that brain of yours that just has no real purpose. You know the movie Saw? <laughs> Remember Saw? You know, I know the movie, but I've never watched one. You know, it's the guy from, from the first Saw. Okay. You know. More knowledge just Amen. thrown out there for the world to appreciate. Amen. It's all, it's all <laughs> part of it. Uh, next section, analysis of time available. Time available refers to many factors during the operations plan, during the operations process, plan, prepare, execute, and assess. The four categories that commander considers include planning and preparation, operations, next higher echelons, timeline, enemy timeline. Gotta think about that enemy timeline. Important thing to think about. Can we move fast enough that we disrupt their timeline. We don't want to give them time to set up. That's another thing that I didn't talk about when I talked about the importance of time and managing time and understanding time and that you don't get a second chance with time is that when you have an opportunity to disrupt your enemy, the more time you give them, the less disruptive it will be. Mm. That's why when you're doing jujitsu and you you know you know how the arm lock is there for a second, but mm-hmm. then you 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 don't go because yeah. you're want, wanting it to be more perfect, and then it's gone. Right. And it also means when someone passes your guard, the time to escape that new position is as soon as it happens, mm-hmm. not when they get a breath and settle and put the weight. Mm-hmm. Next section: analysis of civil convi- considerations. Civil considerations include the influences of man-made infrastructure, civilian institutions, and attitudes, activities of civilian leaders, populations, and organizations within an area of operations with regard to the conduct of military operations. And the questions you ask are, how do civilian considerations affect the operation? How does the operation affect civilians? How does the company build national will in its area of operations? And and, and the reason I wanted to highlight that is when we're making decisions, you have to think about the impacts beyond just your team and the enemy team, right? So if you're in business and you have the opportunity to take out a competitor, but whatever, that competitor employs a bunch of people in a certain area and you take them out, well, what does that do to your reputation? How, and you just shut them down. Like the, that's the kind of thing you need to think about. What Think about the other effects to, for lack of a better word, the civilian population. And it's something in the military you get trained very specifically to consider all the time. That's, that's why I wanted to bring it up. Some of the things that they point out inside of the, inside of the civilian considerations, ethnic dynamics, organizations of influence, patterns, leaders, and influencers which I know you're one of those, right? An influencer. And then economic environment. So those are some of the things you need to think about. Getting into the course of action development. Course of action development. The purpose of a course of action development is to determine one or more ways to accomplish the mission consistent with the battalion commander's intent. And you don't need to worry about the commander's battalion intent if you didn't get the mission from them. But you got to look at any mission you've got, anything you're trying to achieve, what various courses of action can we utilize? Course of action is, is, is really, God, do I want to use this word fun? 
But I always found the course of action debate, right? Because mm. you got this guy wants to do it this way, and this guy wants to do it another way, and there's always a little debate about mm. how we're going to do this. Since I took so many leadership lessons f- over the years from watching or being a part of those various course of action debates. Mm. Wait, we, why do you like it? Because it's all creative or whatever? Because it's, like a, it's, it's a real good problem-solving drill. Yeah. And it's also a really good leadership drill. Because you can watch the dynamics of yourself and other people and when you know when I say no This is the best way to do it. and You're like no I like my way and we get into a fight about it and all of a sudden I'm like I'm ordering you to do it my way and now you're pissed off and it's like a disaster mm. So course of action development is like a really cool leadership Experiment that yeah. happens and on top of that It's a very cool problem-solving because you know, there's more than one ways to skin a cat yeah. and, and I'll tell you that statement that I just made is a very important statement to understand. There's more than one way to skin a cat. True statement. And let me tell you, when you watch people develop course of actions and try and select them, you would swear that there's only one way. Because everyone has their way and that's how they wanna do it. And the reality is, if you go into it thinking, hey, you know what? Echo's way might be cool, Leif's way might be cool, Dave's way might be cool, doesn't really matter to me, it's all good. If you go in with that attitude, you're already starting off on the right foot. Let me put it to you that way. <laughs> if you go in with, oh, I'm looking at this problem and I see the premier solution. Yeah. That's an awesome way. Yeah. Some of, the, some of the criteria for a course of action should be suitable. If executed, the course of action accomplishes the mission legally and ethically while consistent with the Battalion commander's concept and intent. That, that's like one of those obvious things you're talking about. Like, yes, the course of action should complete the mission. Should be feasible, meaning the company has the technical and tactical skills and resources to accomplish the course of action with the available time, space, resources, and available capabilities. That one's real obvious. Acceptable military advantage gained by executing the course of action must justify the cost in resources, especially casually, yes. Distinguishable, this one's a little bit important. If more than one course of action is developed, does it differ significantly from the other solutions? So is it truly different, or is it six and one, half dozen the other? Mm. And believe me, I watch people fight about six and one, half dozen the other all the time. <laughs> and is it complete? Does the course of action cover the operational factors of who, what, where, when, why? So those are the things you're looking at. And I think, as you pointed out earlier, those are some of the things that are just, for lack of a better word, kind of obvious and yet worth reviewing, mm-hmm. worth keeping in your back pocket, worth teaching to your subordinates. Might be real obvious to you, but your subordinates might not see that as super obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, analysis of course of action begins with friendly and enemy course of action. And this is where they start talking about using a war game. This is the, and then they say war gaming is the process of determining what if factors of the overall operations. The object is to determine what can go wrong and what decision the commander likely will have to make as a, as a result. So this is war gaming, which is saying, hey, what if this happens? What if that happens? And, and you have to look at your course of actions and you have to try and poke holes in them. That's why it's good not to have yes men on your team, because if you come up with a plan, you got a bunch of yes men, they're just like, sounds great, boss. Mm. When what you really want them to do is get out daggers and try and stab that plan and poke holes in it. Mm. That's what you want. 
the best way for the commander to war game is to start at the company's current location and go through the mission from start to finish or start at a critical point such as the objective or engagement area. So you'll break the thing down phase by phase and say, okay, what could go wrong here? What could go wrong here? What could go wrong here? And you know what you do? You challenge your team. You say, look, I think my plan is perfect. Who thinks they could poke a hole in this plan, right? Give them a little incentive to try and to try and poke holes because otherwise they're gonna go easy on you and you do not want that. Mm-hmm. Goes on to course of action, comparison, and selection. If the commander has developed more than one course of action, the commander must compare them by weighing specific advantages, disadvantages, strengths, and weaknesses of each as noted during the war game. These attributes may pertain to the accomplishment of the company's purpose, the use of the terrain, the destruction of the enemy, or other aspect of the operation the commanders believes the commander believes to be important. Very straightforward, very obvious. You t- take your two. It's funny how often you have to actually say, "Well, let's figure out which one is better." You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Have you ever? Been, I mean, even you know, you're you're, you're planning something with your wife. Mm-hmm. And and someone has to say, well, let's actually figure out which one of these is the smarter way to do this, mm-hmm. right? This happens all the time. Yeah. You have to make that, you know, you have to be conscious of that. Mm-hmm. The command, and then at the step four, by the way, we're on step four now. The commander initiates movement. Step four is initiate movement. The commander initiates movement necessary to continue the mission preparation or to posture the company for starting the mission. Yeah. Step five is conduct reconnaissance, right? Step five is conduct reconnaissance. What does that mean? You're going to go and gather intelligence. You're going to find out if, you're, if the intelligence that you're gathering actually supports the plan that you've come up with and supports the other information that you've been given. <laughs> One thing that I'll say is sometimes when we're not, sometimes conducting a reconnaissance is simply a step in a certain direction, right? So... Let's talk about the business world. Let's say you want to move into a new market area. Well, yeah, you can conduct a reconnaissance by gathering data. You know, oh, well, we think this is a good market area. Let's gather some data about who lives there and what the demographic is and if they align with what it is that we're trying to do. So that's, that's sort of gathering information, right? It's not really a reconnaissance yet. But sometimes just making a step in that direction you don't necessarily have to send out a recon element, right? Mm. You can say, okay, you know, I, I was talking about this. You wanna put a market, you wanna go into this area? Put a kiosk out there, right? Put a kiosk out there and see what kind of business the kiosk does. Mm. Before you buy real estate, before you rent real estate, before you hire empl- you know, 14 employees to work in this, air, in this building that you're, no, put a kiosk there, see if there's any traction. So, all I'm saying is sometimes instead of a reconnaissance, you're just taking a small step in that direction and then you're opening your feedback loop and seeing if it supports the course of action that you're planning to take. Yeah. Wait, so, okay, so for example, you know how like if you um, you want to, I don't know, you want to start a flower de- delivery service, okay. right? And it what it does is instead of flowers, you get fruit, right? I know there's a company called like, edible something but anyway let's say you have that idea and then you 
instead of necessarily looking, oh, is there a market? The first thing you do is you see if anyone else is doing that already. That's a right? good plan. It, is that like, yeah, that, that's more to me. That's more like gathering intelligence. We're right. looking at data. We're seeing who else is doing this. We Google and we see if anyone's delivering flowers that is actually fruit, which I guess is just a whole thing. Thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's more. That's more of an intelligence gathering thing to me. Uh, maybe a reconnaissance would be posting, you know, posting a website that says, um, you know, fruit flowers here. Yeah. Click here for more information. Are you interested in fruit flowers? And then you see uh-huh. what kind of interest you get. That's not a great example. I'm trying to think of, you know, what you could do is you could do the kiosk thing, yeah. right? Put the kiosk thing outside this supermarket and say, hey, fruit flower, uh, food, food basket flowers. Yeah, so it's more, it's, so it's actual, it's almost like you're, it's part execution. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yes, good way of putting it. Instead of doing full execution, it's an iterative decision-making process that I wrote in Leadership Strategy and Tactics. You're going to make a small step in that direction. Okay. That's what I'm trying to say. These small steps that you take are a form of reconnaissance. Oh, okay, gotcha. A, 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 a small step of execution is a form of reconnaissance in many ways. You know, if you're if you're going to approach a target, well, while you're approaching the target, look, you send a recon team in there. That's cool, but then you send the assault force in there. Well, that's you're you're gathering information. You're not necessarily going to 100% execute just because you got on the ground. Yeah, you're going to move forward and go. Okay, we're doing a better assessment. Oh, we're seeing what kind of reaction we're getting. We're seeing the village's lights are still off, so that our target building isn't disturbed. All that is actually happening. It's part of the process. It is a reconnaissance, even though it's part of execution. Yeah. Kind of testing the waters yes. in a way. Gotcha. So that's step five. Step six is complete the plan. You utilize this information that you gather through your reconnaissance or through your minor steps of execution to complete the plan and say, yep, this is going to work. This is how we're going to do it. And this is where it gets a little confusing because now they're saying you issue the operations order of what we're going to actually do. So the op board precisely and concisely explains both the commander's intent and the concept of how the commander envisions the company accomplishing the mission. The order does not contain unnecessary information. The op ord is delivered quickly and in a manner allowing subordinates to concentrate on understanding the commander's vision and not just copying what the commander says verbatim. Yeah, and the reason I said this is a little bit confusing because we're kind of in trying to explain the fact that execution can be a form of reconnaissance well obviously if you're going to conduct an assault you're going to give a brief before you go on the assault that's what this is so it kind of out of that context it doesn't make sense except for to say once you're in the field you definitely you know you get in a perimeter you get in your final um, area before you launch the assault you'll say hey here's some changes here's what we're seeing here's where a guard post was that we didn't see before so you can make some final planning changes while you're in the field but you've already issued your op order at that point it also says the commander completes the order with a confirmation brief at a minimum each subordinate leader should be able to back brief the company's mission and commander's intent the immediate hire commander's intent, their own task and purpose, and the time they will issue their own units upward. So when you get done briefing and you get done telling everyone what's going to do, what they're going to do, or what you're all going to do, then you have some of the subordinate leaders say, all right, what's your mission, Echo? All right, what's your mission, Leif? Okay, what's your mission, Dave? Even though I gave the brief of what we're going to do, 
then I say, okay, Echo, what, what are you guys doing? You say, yep, we're going to insert here. We're going to go there. And so everyone can kind of brief me back, not just what the overall mission was, not just what your mission was, but also the higher headquarters, mm-hmm. what the higher headquarters intent is. So I make sure we all have a good idea around that. And then we get to the last of these steps. Step eight, supervise and refine. The final step of the troop leading procedures is crucial. After issuing the op board, the commander and subordinate leaders ensure the required activities and tasks are completed in a timely manner prior to mission execution. Supervision is the primary responsibility of all leaders. Both officers and NCOs must check everything important for mission accomplishment. And I guess this is where you, you take this and you take it one step further to commencing the execution of the operation and you'll find that you're going to even once the mission is starting its execution you're still going to supervise and obviously you're going to still going to refine that mission as things unfold so there's a a very definitive separation between planning and preparation but it's pretty easy to take that planning and preparation forward especially from the perspective that just because we made this plan doesn't mean we're not going to very uh, leave the plan once we deviate from the plan once we get in the field. Mm. So it's very important to understand that just because you've launched doesn't mean you've stopped refining the plan. Mm. You still need to refine the plan. You still make adjustments and you have to have the humility to do that and you also have to brief the team that look, when we get out there, there may be some adjustments that come and that is why it is important that you don't make the most rigid plan ever. The most rigid plan ever, watch out for those rigid plans. Those are not ideal. And then we get into this section, the, like the final section, which is preparations, which security operations, I mentioned that, and then we get into rehearsals. Always underemphasized. Rehearsals are critical. They don't even, they don't really sort of emphasize rehearsals as much as I think they should. Mm. They say, and I'm not reading the whole thing, but it says, commander, the commander uses well-planned, efficiently run rehearsals to accomplish the following. Reinforce training and increase proficiency in critical tasks. That, that's kind of not that big of a deal, right? Reveal weaknesses or problems in the plan leading to more refinement of the plan or development of additional branch plans. Okay. That is a big deal. That's actually a huge deal. And they just say, like, it's number two, right? Reveal some weaknesses. No, man. (laughs) This is is it, dude. This is where you figure out whether your plan is good or not by running rehearsals and seeing what happens. And this is where you refine it. Next is integrate the actions of subordinate elements. They're saying that like that's no big deal. Picture anything that you do in your life and you're practicing it and then someone else that you don't know shows up to get in the game. Yeah. That's not easy. Yeah. That's, there's stuff that needs to get sorted out. And they're just saying like, oh, you're just going to integrate there. As if there's any other way to do this efficiently. There isn't. You've got to rehearse. You've got to have people walk through how we're going to do this. Next is confirm coordination requirements between the platoon and adjacent units. 
again, we're just throwing it out there. We're just confirming. There's some things you didn't even know existed until you did the rehearsal. Yeah. It's not just confirmation. There's actual things you won't even figure out. Next is improve each soldier's understanding of the concept of operation, the direct fire fire plan, anticipated contingencies, and possible actions and reactions for various situations that may arise during the, the operation. This is hilarious to me because it says improve the soldiers, each soldier's understanding. I'm going to tell you right now, you take someone and sit them through a brief, those young inexperienced soldiers, SEALs, Marines, they get done with that brief, they don't have a freaking clue. <laughs> you gotta take them out and have them walk through this thing before yeah. they understand it. Hell, never mind those junior guys. There's sometimes where I look at the faces of the senior, you know, some lieutenant, and b- th- th- even during the brief, they don't really, they're briefing it. Mm. The platoon chief is briefing it. Sometimes he doesn't even understand exactly what's going to happen until you get out there and rehearse it. So so they're acting like these things are all additive. Yeah. Like these are sort of like, oh, yeah, just a little icing on the cake. No, I'm telling you, this is the cake. This is the steak. This is the whole meal right here. Yeah. It's not the whole meal. This is this is a vast majority of the meal. Maybe it's not the drink. Yeah. But it's it's just about everything else. Is it the main course? It's absolutely the main course. Yeah, I can see that. And they're making it like it's just a little. Yeah, it almost doesn't, because that's one of those deals where, you know, when you say, oh, rehearsals, that's like, okay, maybe if you're talking about some play or some performance, you know, that you're going to, okay, rehearsals is sort of part of it traditionally. But, you know, even just like walkthroughs, right, when you talk about the, those or whatever, it's like, you don't really realize the value until you physically go through the situation. Then you're like, oh, damn, this is night and day. Because just like how you're saying, like, um, like your junior officers or whoever, when they're like, uh, yeah, I got the, I got it. The brief. I got it. All good. Then when you go out there, you're and when you the first walkthrough, yeah. when it's like, oh, wait, like, wait bro, we don't got it. We, we got to work on this it. thing. I was talking on EF online the other day and I was explaining we were talking. I, I had done a whole thing. As a matter of fact, I'd done a whole thing about narcissism and how narcissism like we all know that's bad Mm -hmm. but if you read the traits of being a narcissist you'll read through them and be like oh that one stings a little bit oh that one stings oh i've I've done that before because there's things it's like it's your ego right it's an extreme ego so we all have an ego and that means that we all have some traits of a narcissist and when you read those traits and you start paying attention to them you're like okay it just it's another tool to assess your own ego. Yeah. You want to know a, a, a trait um and this this was cuz yeah, I read about narcissism mm-hmm. for whatever reason. I mean, that's why, but I do. So, um I even know the methods to deal with narcissism as well. There's like a psychological protocol. Yeah, and that's the thing I actually had to break it down cuz I started getting asked questions and I said, "Listen, I'm not talking about a a technically just uh, technically um, assessed like this person is an actual full-on narcissist, right. right? There's a different methodology that you have to, I'm talking about just, hey, you're kind of normal, run-of-the-mill, big ego person yeah. that, you know, we're in charge and, and you know, you need to listen to me. Yeah. And, and so that's it. So, so that's the kind of narcissist I was talking about. But yeah. what are you talking about? Yeah, the real deal one. Yeah. The, like clinically diagnosed narcissist person i don't know if that's an actual thing or not but like a the like a real narcissist anyway so um 
one of the like the telltale signs and it's not in the tra- list of traits it's more like on on like okay so there's ways to deal with narcissism right and there's ways not to deal with it mm-hmm. so um and I'm not going to go deep into that part of it, but one of the ways not to deal with it is to tell them, hey, you're a narcissist because a real narcissist has an element of pride with their narcissism. So they'll be like, well, yeah, because a real narcissist literally can't see why like they're not correct in the way they're thinking Uh, about themselves. So disturbing. It's like they for real think that everyone else sees the same thing as they do. You know, it's like, it's literally, that's what they think. So when you tell if you were a narcissist and I was like, hey, Echo, you're such a narcissist, your reaction would be, on the regardless of what I'd say and how I'd behave on the inside, I would feel like, well, fuck yeah, because I'm dope. Like I'm just, I'm just seeing the truth really about myself. Like I know you guys see it too. No matter what, you guys are just hating or whatever. That's what I would feel about it. Ugh, I wouldn't feel it's embarrassed. Kind of like they're jealous. Yeah, you know. Oh, that's well, so sketch. And as far as like the differentiator is like a normal person. If someone's like, hey, like you're you're kind of a narcissist. So a normal person would be like, oh, like. Like, don't call me that. Like, I'm not a narcissist. On the inside, they'd feel that. Regardless of how they'd behave. A real narcissist is like, of course, I mean, you're jealous. Of course I am because, look, I'm better than you. Yeah, because exactly right. So it's like, they, of course, they don't care about the language, you know, because you call narcissist, big ego. You think you're better than everyone. You you can say all those things. They all mean the same thing to a narcissist. And it means like, well, yeah, I think that because that's true. Like everyone knows that kind of a, a feeling on the inside, you know, regardless of what they say or, or, or do. Yeah. So anyway, again, that's like how not to deal with a narcissist. You know how like like if you if I were to be like, hey, Jocko, you're freaking um, you're a, you're a, uh, you give up too easy or mm-hmm. something like that. Right. Sometimes that helps people when you're like, hey, you just you just give up too easy. Or you're kind of like, you're just being weak-minded or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, their ego will be like, screw you. But they might go home and think about it and be like, because I don't want to be weak-minded. I don't want to be, I don't want to give up too too early, you know. But a narcissist, it's the same thing. It's like, hey, you're a narcissist. You shouldn't be narcissistic like this kind of thing, right? It's essentially trying to help them. But the thing is, it, it like adds fuel to the fire. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So you can't, like, you literally can't deal with a narcissist like that. So how do you deal with it? Uh, well, there's all kinds of techniques. Give me like one positive po- technique. Posi- uh, or one one actual technique. It's called gray rocking. What does that mean? So gray rocking is kind of like it's basically letting all their what all their techniques just fall and not get a reaction from you. Why is it called gray rocking? Because I'm like super forgettable, super like you don't get so a narcissist basically gets their power from your response Uh, so if you don't give them a positive or negative response you just uh, give you're like oh normal face normal face all day Mm -hmm. yeah but not even overdoing that Mm -hmm. you kind of give them like an appropriate response and then that's sort of it you know so it's called yeah it's called gray rock there's all these weird techniques and and names yeah i like that it's surprising (laughs) it works very well too by the way yeah, that that sounds like a good way to deal with it. You're not adding fuel to the fire. Nope. In fact, you're extinguishing the fire yeah. because fuel to the fire is positive or negative mm-hmm. reaction. It's any reaction, yeah. anything that feeds the idea that like what I say and do affects the world so hugely, you know. So this person getting mad or happy or impressed or whatever, like any like strong reaction is like, hell yeah, I'm going to keep keep it up, whatever I'm doing, you know track the reason i was talking about narcissists 
well, the reason that we're talking about it, because I was explaining that I talked about it on EF Online, and then I went back and talked about the next session, I talked about, well, we talked about narcissism and ego's too big, but we seldom talk about you know, lack of confidence. And the reason that we, the reason that I lean towards talking about staying humble and checking your ego, the reason that I lean towards that is because that's the majority of the time, that's the problem. Why? Because I'm talking to leaders. And how did leaders end up in leadership positions? Because they had confidence. And so the tendency is that confidence is gonna grow out of control. It's not a tendency that someone gets to a leadership position through confidence and then all of a sudden it falls apart. That can happen. It does happen. You can also get young leaders that are getting put into a leadership position that lack confidence. So sometimes you do have people, their confidence gets hurt, their confidence doesn't exist, and you have to improve their confidence. So I was talking about various things where you want to improve the confidence of yourself or the confidence of your subordinates. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things that I talked about, like let's say you have a subordinate that has to present and they're not good at presenting, they they blew, they blew another gig where they were supposed to be presenting to a client and they messed it up and now their confidence is shot, they're worried about talking, but so you've got a job of getting them trained up. So one of the things I talked about, this is going back to rehearsals, which is where we got there in the first place, is you know, I said, you, you, know, you make them rehearse you know, do do your presentation to me, Echo. And then what I say is, hey, Echo, now you're gonna do your presentation and I'm gonna, you know, make something go wrong. Mm. Whether it's I, you know, I I turn off your presentation, right? You got slides up there, I just turn it off. Mm. And and you just react to it. And you and what you'll do is you'll come up with a standard operating procedure where, you know, the slides go black and you go, Oh, looks like I got some technical difficulty. Let me take a second to try and figure this out. Instead of not knowing what to do when yeah. it becomes a brain lock situation. Or, and then I'll also make you, you know, mess up, mess up a word, mess up a, the pronunciation of a word. So when you're trying to say flag, instead of saying flag, you say flickle, and you're like, hey, uh, you know, we wanna make sure we put up the right flickle. You're gonna have to excuse me on that. I don't know even know where that word came from, but there it is. I meant to say flag. So you just rehearse yeah. what you're gonna say when you mess up. And that way when you mess up, you're ready for it. You're a little more ready for it. So so this idea of rehearsals being sort of a additive measure, because I'll tell you what, if you were doing a presentation and I ran you through these drills, you wouldn't just be a little bit better if something went wrong. You would be 10 times better in handling that situation. You've already been there. You've already seen it. Yeah. So rehearsals are something that you as a leader should focus on to such a high level because they are so beneficial, not just as an additive, but in actually bringing together and consolidating the plan inside of people's heads, how they're gonna react, what they're gonna do during various contingencies. It is a powerful tool, and in the SEAL teams, what we used to say was one-third planning, one-third preparation, one-third rehearsal. The Army has something what is it? It's like one third, two thirds, which is one third of the time planning, and then the other two thirds are for for people to what do they say? Prepare and prep, mm. or it's, I guess those the same things. Sure. But they don't put that as big as emphasis in that in that saying as we did, which was one third planning, one third preparation, one third rehearsals. Mm. Maybe they mean that inherently but we actually say it in the SEAL teams. Yeah, that's where it, yeah, because when you think about it, and I sort of realized this when, you're, um, when you talk about like tra- training 
whether it be police or any or even fighters and, or, and stuff like that, where if you think of high level performance like industries, we'll say the NFL, we'll say, mm-hmm. right? Millions of dollars per person, by the way, NBA, whatever. Think about their situation. It's like how much of their time do they spend actually performing? Very yeah, little very compared little to training. Compared to how much they Bro, train. they're training For all sure. day, every day, off season, springtime, no matter, you know, so the, the season's what, 13 games long. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, they're training, 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 training. And then what kind of training do they do? It's all rehearsals, essentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, there's some academic stuff for sure. But as far as when you go to practice as a football player or basketball player, what are you doing? Rehearsals. Rehearsals all day, going full speed, mm-hmm. actually. But it's all rehearsals. And they're doing that. It's probably like a 10 to 1, really. What's, the ratio, to, what's the ratio of rehearsals versus scrimmage? Right. But, okay, so scrimmage Because is, those are two different things we have to admit right now, right? Yeah, kind of. It depends on what you mean by Because a, re- a scrimmage is like a um, it's like an active rehearsal. Okay. Because you're, the, the, all practice is for a game. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's what it is. You got the game. That's the performance part of right, it. Like right. in, in the Navy, you know, your situation. It's a mission. It's an operation, right. whatever. Everything else is training. So scrimmage is, yeah, it's a rehearsal, but it's just more dynamic. It's like with a resistant enemy. You know, yeah. and then there's like a walkthrough, which is kind of maybe like that's, more that's traditional. That's more like a rehearsal. Yeah, yeah. Because you got to do all right. All yes. you got to be ready for that. You you got to be ready for that real interactive. What'd you say, enemy? You got to be ready for someone that's actually going to give you resistance, just yeah. like jujitsu. Yeah. Like you got to learn the move. You got to drill the move. That's a rehearsal. But then you got to do the move in actual situations so that you're ready to use it in a fight. Yeah. And then you got what's called the dress rehearsal. I guess that's more with like plays and stuff, right? Mm. Dress rehearsal. Yeah. Where yeah, you yeah. go where out you in go. your equipment. Do everything stuff. the way it's going to be. Yeah. Live. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So it's all kind of, it's all sort of in the same bucket, you yeah. know, as training. But it's, yeah, it's essentially you're going through the motions as close as you can to the real deal, you know? And actually, it's a spectrum, really. Sometimes yeah. it's like you just go through walkthroughs, yep. right? That, that's a big one. Exactly. We do that in the military. You go do walkthroughs. You don't You don't even have your weapon with you. You're yeah. just in a pair of shorts, yeah. and you're walking around like where we tape out the shape of the building we're going to hit, and everyone walks around. Okay, this is what we're going to do. You're going to go here. You're going to there. Yeah. But then we will do sometimes, like the next level, hey, bring your radios, so yeah. now you got everyone with the radio right. on, so we yeah. can make so little comps. And then maybe you'll do like some walkthroughs with your weapon. You're probably not going to get fully kitted up, but you will do once you're kitted up like a full inspection. Yeah. And that's actually the next section of this. Yeah. But book. at the end of the day, though, to, to your point, is it's all rehearsals, really. Even like the role play stuff that, that you say, which is a whole nother thing, but it's yet another form of a rehearsal. Oh, for sure, role play is another form of rehearsal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you're saying that during a role play, you might not know the outcome and you have a little bit of a, a resistant yeah. opponent, we'll yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is a rehearsal. It's a rehearsal of problems. Mm-hmm. And, and this is what I was just getting to is pre-combat checks and pre-combat inspections. This is the last thing. Pre-combat checks and pre-combat inspections are critical for the success of the missions. Pre-combat checks and inspections must be tailored to the specific unit and mission requirements. One of the best ways to ensure pre-combat checks and pre-combat inspections are complete and thorough is with Echo Charles full dress rehearsals. So there you go. That is something that 
you know, takes it to the next level. And then after the rehearsals, obviously you've done with your brief and that's the last step. And now we are going to execute. And that's it. That's, you know, a, a quick run through of this document, this one section of this one document. And like I said, these are some good guidelines. They're definitely good things to think about. You can use them as a framework to think through how you assess and how you decide courses of action and how you communicate up and down the chain of command. But you're going to, you know, you listen to this and it allows you to sort of customize these thought patterns to make them fit what it is that you do more specifically. But I will say it is good, even though these things seem obvious, it is good to write them down and put together some kind of a checklist that you can go through so you don't miss things. And so that when you have a subordinate that you bring on board that you want to take your job, which is your goal to work yourself out of a job, how much easier does it make the process to say, all right, here's the 14 things that we think about while we're doing this phase of planning. Boom, there you go. And I'll tell you what, when you write stuff down, when you develop curriculum, when you develop standard operating procedures, and then you share those, you get better at them. So that will allow you to go out, execute properly, and get the job done. Speaking of getting the job done, Echo Charles, yes, you know we're we're all out here trying to get the job done on a personal level as well. We're trying to hold the line. We're trying to stay on the path. Yeah, trying to. Can you help us? Yeah, sure. I can tell you what I do. That'll help. That if will be that'll helpful. help. So we are. I am. We are very disciplined with our dosages of joint work. Fair, krill, super krill. And now the D vitamins. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going all day, not all day, but every day. Every day. How yeah. many of those do you take? I two? take one in the morning, one at night. Yeah. Just what are you doing? Two, boom, more with a mix. Okay. Just two, one hit in the morning. One all hit good. in the morning. Good to go. Yes. So, and man, this is this is a good one. And I, I said this plenty of times before, but I'll say it again. It's a big deal where try, take joint warfare and Krill oil mm-hmm. consistently go one month. I don't know, two months, whatever, and then try to get off it. Okay, yeah, yeah very dangerous, not a good, you not know. A good idea. But a really critical and, and impactful, should I say, proving scenario. Because I'll get off it because of whatever, you know. I'll forget one day, or I'll be like, "Oh, I forgot to do it. I'll do it later," and then you know, whatever. And then before I know it, it's like, bro, like two weeks. I got a question for you, bro. Yeah. Why don't you just put the supplements that you take by your toothbrush and when you wake up in the morning and brush your teeth before you brush your teeth you take your hitters as needed yeah. and then also before you go to bed at night you brush your teeth you take what you're supposed to take. I don't even understand why we're having this conversation. You're a 40 year old man. <laughs> Allegedly, <laughs> I'll tell you what happened when I tried to do that, and I say tried like you're it was older. Just are you so you're hard. older than forty, aren't you? Yes, I am. How old are you? Uh, you know that's classified. Forty two. Forty two. Yeah. Forty two. You're a forty two year old man. Even worse. I know, bro. It's, it's bad. Do you brush your teeth every day? <laughs> yes. Yes. So why not you. just add this step okay. that takes an extra twenty seconds? Yeah. Well, it takes more than twenty seconds. This is why, because look, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna sort out that, well, what do you call it? put them put them out, whatever, like lay them out, bro, lay out no, my whole just thing. to have them staged there. That's what bottle, it, okay, bottle, the bottle, staging, bottle. the staging. It, oh, okay, yeah. So, 
Yeah, I don't then like pour them out the night before. No, I pick okay. up the thing, boom, eat it, eat it, eat it, so, boom, we're done. So I started doing that, but I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to keep, keep these bottles in the bathroom with my toothbrush because that's sort of not where they go in my house. They go in the cabinet, <laughs> you know, whatever. I know, it's I know, your house. but I'm just saying this is what happened to me when I went through that process. I was like, well, it doesn't make sense. It, you know, I go downstairs anyway to the cabinet every day. So apparently not because you're I know, missing. I know. See, you talk about the reality of it. I'm saying, well, this is what happened. So anyway, I was like, okay, for me to stage them by my toothbrush, to, to, toothbrush took more work than me remembering at, you know, in the morning when I come down. So I just stopped doing it. And then, of course, I forgot. <laughs> so <laughs> that turned out not to be uh, as true. But nonetheless. Bro, you're teaching a lot of people right now. Oh, yeah. Because I'm proud. Take the extra step. Okay, yes. Put them by your toothbrush. Now, this is what I did. So. Okay, so, you know, I have this wind-down routine at night, and a big part of it is cleaning, like, the, the whole kitchen, just cleaning it. Whether it's messy or not messy, just clean it. It's part of the routine mm-hmm. nightly, right? So I put everything away. So if I leave those bottles out, it's like I didn't really clean. I'm I'm not saying this is what I'm thinking at the time. I'm thinking back on it. You know? Dang, OCD. So, no, <laughs> no if, trust me. If you knew the, the actual process, <laughs> it, it's not OCD at all. But... If I'm just like, hey, I'll clean the kitchen, sure, but I'll straight up just leave those out, leave those out right there at the on the counter. Okay. So it's essentially staging, just like you did, but just not with my toothbrush, just at the counter where I'm going anyway in the morning, <laughs> every single morning. You see what I'm saying? Anyway, that's what I start to do. Uh, it's I'm I believe with 100% certainty that that achieves what you're achieving with the staging by your toothbrush. Okay, and yet you. Do not achieve 100% certainty of taking your supplements <laughs> yeah, when you're do. supposed to. I'm back. Which, I'm on it now, though. I have been right. for a little bit. And, brother, seriously, the difference is night night and day. And here's the thing. Sometimes, sometimes, really, when you're, like, in the game or whatever, and maybe you don't crush your joints or nothing like that, like, you can kind of get by. Like, you can, like, I'll just wa- I'll just warm it up a little bit more. I'm like, my, this this shoulder right here. It's mm-hmm. like this just this little real specific part of my I, shoulder. I get that right there, too. Um, if I do, this is how specific it is, weighted dips, I get this little. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it's weird. It's like this weird little specific spot. And, yes, with specific exercise, which is like when I do shoulder press, it doesn't hurt as much as if I do incline press, which is really weird. Because you think the shoulder. But either way, it's like, oh, I'll just warm up some more, maybe rub it, you know, rub it and, and stretch it out more or whatever. And then when you go back on the joint warfare and the krill oil, you're like, oh, bro, I don't even have to, like, do all that anymore you know what i'm saying just so like ready night for and day. action yeah man and then so if you just apply that to your whole thing it's like bro why not you should consistently be on that yep. keep you in the game big okay. time i recommend instead of cleaning your kitchen saging me in your kitchen so that when you go downstairs inevitably then you can decide oh yeah it's time for me to take my supplementation i recommend in between your toothbrush and your toothpaste there it is <laughs> get it done <laughs> Yeah. No factor, bro. Yeah, I, I I can dig it. I can dig it. But hey, whatever your method. Are you a little OCD? No, I don't think so. What's the wind down routine that you're cleaning your kitchen? I think it's just like a like. That's just how you know. You know when you do something over and over and over again, it's just like it's almost like more habit than. OCD. What if it's like a long day and you've been editing? No. <laughs> yeah, a, a hard, rigorous, a hard, brutal, rigorous brutal day, day yeah. of editing. Yeah, no, still, yeah. You still will just get it done. Yeah. No matter what, I think it's like the process, though. You know how, like, you know how, like, kids, you, they want a bedtime story. They don't yeah. need a bedtime well, story. I, I but was getting. I, somebody asked me, like, well, you know. How do you figure? How did you figure out? Or why do you post stuff on social media? 
And I was like, oh, because I'm just a creature of habit, and that's what I that's what I that's the habit that I have right now. And that's what I'm doing. Yeah. No yeah. great like whatever strategy. Yeah. Or, yeah. or like a, like I'm do this for this. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Like the strategy, but I guess clean the kitchen is both because it's like functional as well. Yeah, it is functional. Know? Clean the kitchen. But, we support uh, it. Yeah. Uh, so yes, that's what we're getting at. Take some supplementation, joint warfare, krill oil. Take your vitamin D three. Yep. And you know that way, maybe some cold war. See, I take the cold war. Yeah. You know what's interesting? I take the cold war during the day. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. So, yeah, anyways, get on that. Also, we got discipline. Go in cans. We got discipline. Go in pills. We got discipline. Go in powder. If you need that little psychological hitter to keep you rocking and rolling. And rolling, for sure. Yes, and Uh, milk as well. Milk, too, if you need some protein. Or if you just want dessert. Because let's face it, sometimes you just want dessert. Oh, yeah. Speaking of which, okay, so I see these videos Mm -hmm. that Pete and them at Origin are putting Mm -hmm. out, and it's like the milk bar factory setup development. Yeah, because I've had milk bars before. Yes. And like for those. Kind of be, a game changer, right? Big, It's a big deal, yes. So, it, you know, like, okay, so I like I like these candy bars. I don't eat them all the time. Actually, I barely eat candy bars, mm-hmm. you know, like a king size candy bar. Most things with peanut butter is going to be, you know, my, my kind of go-to when I do go to those. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of like a dessert, right? I mean, maybe you think of dessert as like ice cream or some pie mm-hmm. or something like this. But to me, a candy bar is... What's your favorite candy bar? Anything Reese's. Actually, there's these things called Reese's Sticks. They're kind of mm-hmm. like a Reese, they're Reese's, you know, so it's peanut butter, chocolate. But they're like, you know what Kit Kat is, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know those... That was kind of one of my go-tos when I was a kid. Okay. So, it's like a, a more robust... You know why the Kit Kat tasted cool in your mouth on in like the hot summer, right? <laughs> But it's like, you know, the the, the makeup of a Kit Kat, it's like that, but just more robust. And it has the Reese's, the peanut butter and chocolate. That's right now my favorite one. But nonetheless, if you get a milk bar, it's essentially, it's not a Reese's stick because it's made up different, but it's a straight up candy bar, straight up. And it tastes like a candy bar. And here's the test. Bro, you and you know we all have kids, varying level, varying uh, levels of age, mm-hmm. and so my son is three. Mm-hmm. Before later this year, whatever. He'll tear in some milk bars, bro. And that's a te- like if yeah. he doesn't like if it, if he's like, hey, this isn't a candy bar. This yeah. is a health bar. Yeah. He won't eat that. Yeah, bro, he'll eating, be like, we're not eating that. Then. Yeah, because it's not like he's unfamiliar with candy bars, bro. He pounds candy bars when if he gets the opportunity or whatever, bro. He'll sneak. He'll see where I put the milk bars in the freezer, by the way, which is another strategy. <laughs> he'll see where I put. He's three, three years old. He see, and he'll go steal the milk bars straight Check. up, steal them. Check. Anyway, so these are legitimately dessert things, <laughs> items Check. that are protein. Well, they're not out yet. We apologize. We're working on it, and everything here, plus the Jocko White Tea, milk. Warrior Kid Milk, you can get it all at the Vitamin Shop or you can get it at OriginMain.com. You can get it on Amazon too. Yeah, it's good. So it's out, it's out there. Also, jujitsu stuff. Jujitsu slowly getting back into it. Everybody, yep. everybody got to. Kind of, you know, it's one of those things you sort of got to. What are they called? Essential, it's essential. activities. Yeah. I mean, regardless of, of certain... 
policies, yeah. I guess. Yeah. It's like you know. Well, you got to figure out how you, who you can roll with. Yeah. In your quarantine. Yes. Yeah, fully. And then once you got that unlocked, we're good. Yep, good to go. So you get a gi if you don't have one already, or even if you do have one already, get an origin gi made in America, 100%. And they're the best gis, 100%. Are those related? Made in America, the best? Maybe, maybe not. Nonetheless, they're both I think true. I'm leaning towards yes. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, no, there's like, what do you call it? The the, the, the <laughs> sum is greater than the its parts. Sum is or, greater than the parts. Or, yeah, or whatever. Yes. Because it's like made in America, that's something. It's the best, that's something. And it's the best because it's made in America. So the fact that it's made in America makes it even more of the best. You see what I'm saying? All right. I, I'm like, agreeing with your logic. Pete went I'm up, not following it, but <laughs> I like the outcome. Okay, here, here you go. I'll, 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 I'll put a finer point on it. If Pete. Grabbed one of his looms, probably more than one. Mm-hmm. Went up to Washington State, right at the border of Canada, and made one of those geese. That gi would still be the best gi. True. It would still be the best. But it wouldn't be better than the one made in America because it's not made in America. You see what I'm saying? So the, it's the best regardless. But since it's made in America, it's even more the best. You see what I'm saying? Got it. That's what I'm saying. Anyway, nonetheless, right. orjermain.com, you can get these things, plus denim jeans. Yeah. Again, made in America, same deal. 100%, same deal. Plus boots, same plus deal, t-shirts, man. plus hoodies, plus beanies, but just all kinds. If you need something, check it out. You might want to get something. You might want to get something that's made in America without compromise. Very true. Which is a bold statement. That's yes. what we're doing. Yep. Also, Jocko has a store. JockoStore.com. This is where you can get more stuff. Apparel, if you will. Shirts, t-shirts, hoodies, hats. A lot of stuff back in stock, man. So you can get them now, straight up. I know. I know. In the past, we've been sold out of this or that or whatever. It's it, it's not like that anymore. Things are changing on the Jocko Store. In a positive way. In a positive way. They're improving. Echo is ste- stepping up his game. They're improving, yes. So, anyway, if you want discipline equals freedom, you know, things where you want to represent, like, on the path, while you're on the path, and you want to represent hardcore, deathcore. That's, this is where you get the stuff, jockostore.com. I like the way you did that. Well, you know, it's one of those things. You know, it's true. Also, subscribe to this podcast if you want to. Go and leave some reviews if you want to. Don't forget about some other podcasts that we've got, including the thread, which will be back soon with a new name. Which I've already thought of. We have the new name. All right, there you we, go. we have Good. to make some final refinements to the new name, but I think we're gonna like it. We also have the Grounded Podcast. We got the Warrior Kid Podcast. We got Warrior Kid Soap from IrishOaksRanch.com. Also on the JockoStore.com, made by a warrior kid who owns his own business at age thirteen, making something that's not just a business product, but it's something that every person can use so that they can stay clean. Don't forget about our YouTube channel because Echo is putting all kinds of time and effort into YouTube videos. Amen. It's true. Brutal. Are you going to put some kind of a a special effect into this video that we're talking about? No, man. I don't know. You know, there's mixed emotions about the special effect. There's a lot of people that think that this right there is the best idea, you know, that anyone's had in a long time (laughs) is to occasionally throw in some kind of a cool effect into this video. Yeah, yeah. So people are watching it and they're like, what? Yes, I'm I'm sure they'd be very impressed. Don't you think the world could use that right now? Uh, You know. I do. Yeah. 
Apparently, you're undecided. I'm I, telling you, you the know, world could use some <laughs> some special effects in this video that I'm making right now. It's kind of a nuanced. I should situation. be able to like, put my hand at you and it just <laughs> sends fire into your eyes. Yeah. Well, yeah, I kind of get that from you, I guess, sometimes. So, yeah, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Some people say that, hey, man, no effect or enhancement needed. That's, you know, some of the word I, I've i been getting. Okay. Something not like Maybe not needed, but would be nice. <laughs> Dude, be I'm cool. not talking about like something right. crazy. I'm yeah, talking about really. occasionally there's something happens or I say something or you say something and it merits a little highlight. All right, so this is, okay, and actually I, I gotta think of what to do, but okay, this is what I did. So I'm, I try to like learn new dumb things, mm -hmm. CGI wise. So I have this, um, this program, pretty extensive programs like 3D modeling and stuff, but I just came across, what do you call it, a plugin or whatever. It's a thing that allows you to do more stuff that it's facial recognition, so it'll recognize your face, create like a mask, you know those masks that you know you just sort of put on or whatever, a mask, and you can talk, you can whatever, it'll take all that data and create a mask, and then you can put like your real face on the mask so it looks like a talking face of your mask. You can incorporate that into your video. Hmm. I don't even know, isn't a talking f face of your um, talking mask of your face, isn't that just your face? Yeah, but. So, so why is it even cool? Because now I'm just saying there's a bunch of things you can do with it. But one of the things, for example, I could get your talking face and then I could make a video of you talking whatever I want you to say and then I can incorporate that floating mask, uh, what do you call a disembodied face of Jocko in the video somewhere. See okay, saying? see, now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> yeah. You know, anytime I do like, I'm trying to describe some event unfolding and there's a couple people talking and I say, so this guy says, you don't want to do that. And then someone else says, yes, I do. See, you could all boom, yep. disembody my face. We can be having a conversation mm. with myself. Yeah, exactly. Maybe put a little bit of, uh, you know, something that makes the face just a little bit different, but it's still me. Sure. Yeah, see, there you go. See, all something. you need is a little creativity, bro. <laughs> you can make something happen. Thank you. Don't forget about we have uh, psychological warfare, little psychological hitters to help you over any potential pitfalls of discipline you might encounter. We also have flipsidecanvas.com, run by my brother Dakota Meyer. If you need a little visual, something to keep you nudged onto the path, then go to flipsidecanvas.com. Made in America. Question, made in America, yes, answer. Also got a bunch of books. The Code, Leadership Strategy and Tactics, Field Manual, Warrior Kid 1, 2, and 3, Mikey and the Dragons, Discipline Equals Freedom, Field Manual, How to Get After It, Extreme Ownership and the Dichotomy of Leadership. We got Echelon Front, which is my leadership consultancy, and what we do is solve problems through leadership. EF Online, this is it, this is live. We got a new version up right now. We got a new platform, and I know you like that word, Echo Charles. We got a new platform, which is way more dynamic. We got a really awesome forum on there. So you got leadership problems, you can connect with the brigade of people that are on EF Online exchanging ideas. The instructors, all the instructors are on there. We're all getting after it. We're doing live events several times a week where you can communicate. You wanna ask me a question? Just, yeah, Twitter will work. I may get to it. Come to EF Online. Ask me the question. Let me see your, your disembodied head <laughs> on a Zoom meeting asking me a question. 
We can talk about it. Go to efonline.com for that. We got the muster. Next one is Phoenix, Arizona, September 16th and 17th, Dallas, Texas, December 3rd and 4th. Go to extremeownership.com for details. And look, we're probably going to have to implement some social distancing in there. So we're going to have less tickets to sell. So that means they're going to sell out faster. So be if you want to come, come to, go to extremeownership.com for that. We have efoverwatch.com where we have individuals from the special operations community ready to go to work in the civilian sector. Go to efoverwatch.com if you're on either side of that equation. America's Mighty Warriors.org. This is Mama Lee, Mark Lee's mom. And she has made her mission in life to help service members, their families, gold star families around the world on deployment here in America. If you want to donate or you want to get involved on some level, go to americasmightywarriors.org. And if you haven't had enough of my bland blathering, or you just just could use a little bit more of Echo's digressive declarations, then you can find us on the interwebs, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. Echo is at Echo, Echo Charles, and I am at Jocko Willink. And to all the military folks out there, Thank you for your service day after day, night after night, week after week, month after month, year after year, protecting our way of life and our liberty. And to all the police out there and law enforcement, and then the firefighters and paramedics and EMTs and dispatchers and correctional officers and border patrol and secret service, You all do a job that is underpaid, underappreciated, and over-demanding. And we thank you all for protecting us here at home and to everyone else out there. You know, I talked a lot about planning today. We talked a lot about planning today. Collaborative planning and parallel planning and distributed planning. And I talked timelines and courses of action and analysis of the enemy and all those elements, but listen, planning means absolutely nothing without execution. So yes, come up with a plan, think through it, make sure it makes sense, and then go out there and get after it. And until next time, this is Echo and Jocko. Thanks for joining us. Out.